Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 35 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Make-A-Wish, a.k.a. T-Bow Mania, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. Ham Strained Relations. You got any AKAs for yourself today? AKA Golden. I'm feeling good about my Warriors. They got a big win, two big wins actually over the uh, Suns, and then it was the Jazz, right? Okay. So you feel like first round playoff win good? Oh, listen. We told you a couple weeks ago that Golden State's likely to be in the play-in. There's a decent chance they could win, and now it's looking like LA may avoid the play-in. I'm the or the LA Lakers may avoid the play-in. I'm thinking that the Trailblazers are going to slip a little bit. They're the fifth seed now. They might lose the next two or three. The schedule. It, it Look, I get it, but they're the fifth seed now. They are away from the... Actually, our YouTube comments were on fire today with them being in the fifth seed and people not having our play-in Trailblazers talk. They're going to be in the play-in. Portland Nation is saying they are not anywhere near the play-in. Listen, all I hope for is a Phoenix-Golden State round one series that will be fire, especially after that game last night where Wiggins went off, which was which was he had the best game in his career, possibly. I mean, yes. It, it helped that people were triple and quadruple. Quad, like the pictures of Steph being quadruple <laughs> teamed. I'm like, where's the rest of the team that there's four more Warriors on the court? And they were just like, Wiggins could just get an open <laughs> lay into the basket. He was like, I'll keep taking that. <laughs> well, Steph also is missing open threes. That being said, though, he I mean, was he doing four ridiculous. hands in his face now. The open three is now actually real defense <laughs> against Steph Curry. He's just like, what's going on? You're throwing him off his game when he's open. He's not used to it anymore. He is, Correct, but they're still doing great things. He's having a great season, likely to win the scoring title. So today, I am golden. All right, all right. Look, we have an exciting show for everybody today. We are going to get into the story of Tebow Mania now that he is reportedly going to play tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We are going to give you the RPO run pass options segment where we give you the hottest storylines and sports news for the week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them. We are going to give you the fly route for Julio Jones. Now, there's some rumors that he might be traded after the June 1st deadline. And we are going to give you our end of the regular season NBA awards. Here at the Fly Route, we don't play that. We are going to give you all of our predictions before the playoffs even start. And last but not least, we are going to give a big baller's bouquet to the one and only Rob Gronkowski. The, 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 the fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. Welcome to the tea off. Oh, 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 spit that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. This week, we're going to talk about none other than Jesus's favorite son, Tim Tebow himself. What? You got something to say? You got to stop. Say it with your chest. 
You gotta stop. Stop what? The, the man. The man has not played football in seven years. All I said was he was that he was Jesus's favorite son. If he I were Jesus's favorite son, he would have risen from the dead two days after his last stint uh, leaving the NFL. Not six years later. No. Okay. No. So a he wanted to play baseball first. He did not want to play baseball. And I don't believe question. that. I have a question for you, Demarcus. Is it more miraculous that he raised from the dead nine years after his last regular season game? Don't. Or less. <laughs> Do not or make less. the argument that Tim Tebow is more miraculous than Jesus Christ. This blasphemy. This blasphemy. <laughs> I wasn't even talking about Jesus. I was just saying, is it more of a miracle that he rose from the dead nine years later or less? I, I call it white privilege, not a miracle. Uh, there, there, there's a difference to this thing. <laughs> Look, depending on who you ask, Jesus was white too. <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about it. Yo, everybody, if you don't know who Tim Tebow is, he is a college football legend, possibly one of the greatest college football players to ever play the game. He look, he played at Florida. And this is very important. He played under Urban Meyer. He won two championships at Florida. He leads in basically almost every quarterback record in the in that division. Then he played for the Denver Broncos. He took a super struggling team on a massive win streak into the playoffs, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers at home, and actually won a playoff game. And then he kind of disappeared and uh, had some other stops, bunch of failures, failed out, ended up playing minor league baseball for a couple of years with the Mets, trying to make it to the majors, never did. Now, fast forward five years later after doing that, he is reportedly going to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars as a tight end, a position that he has never played before on, I think, any level. Nope. All right. DeMarcus has already had more than enough. Listen, some players spoke out about this, Des Bryant included. Do you have the quote from Des Bryant? So Des Bryant says, so Tebow haven't played an NFL game in damn near a decade and it's that simple. No hate, but you got to be kidding me. Honestly, and that's not it. Like, Darius Slay from the Eagles said, it's mind-blowing to me that Kaepernick has no job, mm -hmm. but Tebow does. Devin Bush on the Steelers said, Jaguars' decision to sign him as a converted tight end. Tebow got a job before Kaepernick. Wait till we play Jacksonville. Listen, it's not right. We well, listen. Let's let's time out. We know why he got the job. You said everything you need to say in his little introduction. He won a national championship like 15 years ago. Two of them. Two of them. Two or, of well, them. Well, I'll say first one. If you if you're old enough to have seen those games, which means you're probably at least in your mid 20s, maybe early 30s at this point. This is true. Yeah. That first one, he he wasn't a starter. He came off the bench. No, that first one, he was a gadget guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely that. But 15, basically 15 years ago now. And so his little playoff run, he went seven and four. So not miraculous. Good record. Uh, uh, a seven. Was, what was the team before he showed up? T he 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 took over like uh, four games team? in four something like that. But that's, that's no. They were I think if they were if he went seven and four, that's eleven games. Oh, I'm sorry, five games. Okay, yeah. So they were like two and three, maybe one and one and four, something like that. Something like that. Yes. So that is actually a miraculous turnaround. Seven and four and had a miraculous play in the playoffs to beat the Steelers. Tebow time. Fourth quarter, he's like, hey, Jesus, you got me. Redirected pass with the Holy Spirit. 
there's a reason they were down in the fourth quarter. I'll, I'll say that. If you remember back to those days, way back when, there's a reason. And and this is okay. There's a you kind of glanced over a couple things here. The first thing is he did have more chances at quarterback in the NFL. He had stops at the Jets and the Patriots and the Patriots and I believe the Eagles. Oh, I didn't under know Chip about Kelly. That so he had at least three more stabs at the NFL quarterback thing. Uh, the story is is very well known that when he was on the way out of Denver, they asked him where he wanted to be traded. It was either go to the Jets, who are the better team, where he likely wouldn't play, or go somewhere else. I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was a team where he likely would have been able to play quarterback. Was it Jacksonville? I actually think it might have been Jacksonville. Yeah, because he's from the area. He's yes. from Jacksonville. He turned it down. Yes. So this is not a, oh, you know, he was a talented and he's getting another shot. No, he was not talented enough to make it in the league. He could not consistently throw the ball accurately. Yes, as a quarterback. Now he is 33 years old, has been out of the league six full seasons, but really closer to a decade, and is going to switch positions at one of the now most athletic positions in the game, tight end, where we just saw someone like Kyle Pitts get taken, who's like 6'4", 230 runs like a 4-3. Yes. How does Tim Tebow help this team? Even if you're like, he's a great guy, he's good for the locker room, he motivates us, yada, yada, yada. Who's going to listen to the, the third string tight end to motivate them? <laughs> Who needs that? <laughs> Are you listening to the third string tight end? Look, if your job depends on it? Look, it's not. No, but... I, I'm also not in the locker room. Then what's he there for? We don't and, know yet. And we why haven't is, seen it. Why is he getting this chance when other people haven't? Who are the other people you want to talk about, Demarcus? In fact, the worst tight end last year that got cut off of the worst team is more deserving of this opportunity than Tim Tebow. I don't even have a name. He was more deserving, though. He actually played tight end and studied the position and played last year, probably played in college, probably played in high school. Why does Tim Tebow deserve this chance more than him or more than a Des Bryant or more than anybody who's at home? Is it really about what he deserves? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because this, is, this isn't it. Okay, so the first thing I want to ask you is a lot of people have been making the comparison to the fact that, you know, similar age, Tebow and Kaepernick, you know, not similar resumes. One of them went to a Super Bowl, uh, you know. Look, that's just undeniable. The resumes are not similar. One of them went to a Super Bowl Can't as a quarterback. Better. Right? And the fact that Collar couldn't even really get the tryout Tebow got. Do you think that's a reasonable... Well, he didn't get the second, third, and fourth chances that Tebow got to begin with. Even though he was successful, had some injuries, came back, played pretty decently, and was going to play again the next year, then there's this whole controversy that happened. And that's why he doesn't have a job, not because of his skill level or talent, which is that's the exact reason why Tebow was playing AAA baseball. And the reason he's not doing that now is also talent. He wasn't good enough to, to hack it. The dream is dead. He needs to he needs to move on. And this is the and this is a common media line this week. But I think everybody's right. That's that said it. He needs to move on. Most people's NFL dream lasts three and a half years on average. You had a night. You had a great college career. You had some miraculous things happen in the NFL. Great story. You got the pictures, the photos, the whatever you got. T-shirt, the hat from whatever, winning, winning the, the division. Move on. Be a broadcaster. Live your life. What if he wants to play football? Have your beautiful wife, etc. Um, Only people who get to play football into their mid to late 30s are people who are really good at it. He's not really good at it anymore. 
I, what if what if God came to Tebow in a dream and he was like, now is the time you urban. I heard y'all live three doors down from each other. It's, it's time for your comeback. You think God came down and told Tim Tebow it was time for his comeback from everything that I've heard about Tim Tebow. He's basically a prophet. It's more likely that God actually <laughs> blessed Steph Curry's ankles. <laughs> Then he came down and told Tim Tebow to come back. Hey, look, Mark Jackson <laughs> blessed those ankles. We're going to have to give that man credit where credit is due. He hit them bitches with the holy water. Look, they I, have been tight. No, what they did, it was honestly good, but that's more believable than this. I'm just going to tell you. Okay, look, people have made this a lot into a racial issue, particularly because of the Kaepernick angle. And I'm going to be honest. There is a racial element to this story, but it is not the one that people are going for. Colin Kaepernick was actively blackballed by the NFL because of a political stance that he took to kneel during the NFL anthem. Tebow was just not good at football. Those are two very different things, right? So the the comparison is poor mm-hmm. because people may have said Colin Kaepernick could not cut it, but... A, we know by that fat-ass settlement he got in court, that was not the case. We know by the public apology he had to get from the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, that was not the case. But instead, it was a systematic blackballing of him. That is not what happened with Tebow. Motherfuckers love Tebow. Still, that's why he's got this job. Exactly. Now, this is just another case of nepotism. Mm -hmm. That is really what this is. It's another case of nepotism, and this does apply in a racial lens. We talk about this. The people that generally get the positions of power happen to be white guys, right? And we know that people tend to hire people that look like them, have similar backgrounds, beliefs, beliefs, and most importantly, people just hire their boys. And we know Urban Meyer gets this job. He's going to hire his boys. So the racial element of this is not that, you know, the end, this is a, it's racist that Tebow gets this opportunity and Kaepernick does not. It's actually the trickle down of the people that we put in power, such as head coaches in the NFL. We have talked extensively on the Fly Route podcast that the NFL has a head coaching problem when it comes to choosing head coaches of color. And that is largely because the owners of these teams functionally are independent contractors and they are mostly white guys who hire people that look like them, have similar beliefs and backgrounds. That is the racial element of this story. That's just plain nepotism. There ain't ain't nothing to do about that. If Tebow wants to play fucking football and he has the connections to get the opportunity to play football, I don't think it should be beholden on Tebow to deny himself that opportunity if that's what he wants. Y'all say give it up. That uh, Look, Urban Meyer wants to hire his boys. Most people that get into that position of power want to hire their boys. It's not a matter of if he can get hired, it's if he should be. And if he should accept it. Because even from the Tebow angle, personally... What does this look like to peers of his who either were in the league, um, like the Pounceys, who I believe, or he played at least one of them, or someone else? 
right? It looks like he's holding on to something that's not there anymore. He looks desperate. Yeah, that's not a great look. Like, he could go... This is not about money, I don't believe. Tebow, I am sure, had made plenty of money. He was a first-round draft pick when he came out. Uh, did a little guest commentating on Fox or ESPN for college football. Could easily go back and get a commentating job. Everyone loves the guy. He's a great public speaker. He's motivational as hell. This ain't about money. This is purely about his desire to play and thinking, being delusional enough to believe that he still can. And okay. Urban Meyer should have been a good friend and been like, bruh, love you. I'll hire you as a coach. You can work for the team. You can be a consultant, do whatever. But I can't give you a roster spot. Not, not just because he doesn't deserve it, but because what does that say to the other 50-some-odd guys, guys in the locker room who have worked super hard to get where they are and he hasn't. What does that do for Urban Meyer, a brand new NFL coach, being able to gain uh, the trust of his other veteran players? So I agree with that claim, like that statement. A lot of people have mentioned that it is something that could hurt his credibility in the locker room. And this has Chris Doyle written all over it again. For y'all who don't remember who Chris Doyle is, Chris Doyle was a former strength coach for the University of Iowa's football program. Urban Meyer then tried to hire him on the Jaguars. There was a ton of backlash because Chris Doyle was dismissed from Iowa for basically being abusive to players and making racially insensitive remarks. And if that happened in Iowa, you know he was doing something extra wild. But he forced it through anyway, through everybody's, you know, questions, concerns, etc. And ended up causing a massive meteor storm and Chris Doyle ends up having to resign later on. This feels like we are replaying the same scenario with Tim Tebow, but Tim Tebow has basically never done anything actively controversial ever. Besides Except trying to play Jesus. football at 33. Well, loving Jesus was controversial for him for a little bit. People were like, he should stop talking about Jesus so much. And I'm like, I don't have a problem with that. That's his thing. If that's not your thing, ignore the dude. Keep it moving. But yeah, he should just move on. Look, I hear you. Now, what if Tebow actually ends up playing and being decent? Still wrong. Do you think Tebow actually takes any snaps at tight end like that? He's not going to block. He's never blocked in his life. From what I understand, they're going to have him some gadget plays, some packages where he's kind of like a, a H-back where he comes out of the backfield and he's run some, some short routes and maybe catches the ball. I, I don't know. Will he start? I don't think, I think definitely not. Will he take any steps at all? I'm sure Urban's going to throw him a few snaps here and there in the game, but I don't think any extensive playing time. I think, like we have alluded to, he's there more for motivational purposes and team building than anything else. Ironically, I think that's what he hurts the most. Okay, I just want to hear from all of our listeners. What do you think about the Tim Tebow signing? Hit us up in the comments. If you're listening on YouTube, just comment below. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple, etc., get us at Facebook, Instagram, etc. And that was your tee off. Ooh, 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 spit that tea, ooh, sis. Spit that tea, ooh. sis. Let's 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 not play, boy. All right, let's get into the RPO Run Pass Options segment where we give you the biggest storylines in sports news for the week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them. 
All right, all right. You can you can take us away, Demarcus. So I'm gonna go ahead and hit you with the Justin Fields questions. I know they're coming for you. There, he's the new quarterback for your Chicago Bears. All of the things leaking out now are actually quite opposite of what was leaking before the draft. They're saying he's one of the smartest players the Bears could have taken. He has amazing wonderlick scores. Run or pass on this kind of change up on the narrative around Justin Fields. Oh, run, run, run. And I'm going to run every fucking time because we here on this Fly Route podcast was like, this is aggressively just racist, period, point blank. It's the thing that they do to devalue black quarterbacks in the draft process every time. Questions about their ability to read defenses, process plays, understand the playbook, etc. All of that is always used as a way to knock black quarterbacks off of their well-deserved pedestal. And the most recent story that came out is actually not even about the Wonderlook test. So we talk about the Wonderlook test here every now and then. We know that this is a Useless test. Useless test. Extremely outdated. Does have nothing to do with football, etc. Right? This is actually a test much better than the Wonderlick test. And it shows how ridiculous all the rumors about Justin Fields' football intelligence really was. Now, there's a test administered by this doctor, sports psychologist. His name is Dr. Goldman. Right? And this test focuses on... The reps needed to learn something and then the ability to recall it later, i.e. the ability to understand a playbook, understand a defense, understand a specific defensive scheme that you have seen before in practice and recall it quickly. Right. This test has been given to over 6,500 professional athletes. Justin Fields has the highest score of all time. Likely has a near idyllic memory. Then, Yes. Yes. For reference, right, Patrick Mahomes got a 108. Justin Fields got a 130. Well, to be fair, Mahomes did say he just learned how to read defenses last year. It's not about defense. It's about the ability to take information, right? The, how many reps it takes you to learn something? How quickly can you recall it, right? Because reading it, like, they're not challenging you to read this specific defense. They're challenging you. How do you process information? Memorize plays, I guess. Yes. Okay. Memorize the playbook. Memorize the play that you've seen in practice, watching film. Recall it. What to do in that situation, right? So it's not like, can you identify the Mike linebacker, right? That's not what they're asking that's you. That's easy. Right? But that's not what they're asking you, right? They're asking you, can you, we show you the scheme. How many times do you need to see this scheme? To memorize it, how quickly can you recall it when called upon? This is actually a great story because um, Matt Nagy says that, like, you know, right before the draft, after his conversations with Justin Fields months ago, he asked Justin Fields about, like, a play design that he talked to him about. And Justin Fields recalled it perfectly to him on the spot. Every variable and everything on the spot months later. And he was, and Matt Nagy was like, oh, this guy is, this guy is fucking sick, right? Uh, reasonably so. So this was just crazy to me because where do we get the rumors from that, you know, this guy, not super smart, can't process defenses, can't get through his reads. If this is the score that he got on the aptitude test, how do we explain that? Maybe it was the Bears. You think the Bears leaked it to get him to drop? Would you put it past the NFL team to do that? I would put it past... Us. You don't think you're smart enough to do it? 
<laughs> That's really what it is, right? Like, yeah, I ain't lying to you. I won't even lie to you. By how scared you saw me during the live draft when I thought there was a chance that we might take Mac Jones over him. Like, we're the same people that took Trubisky over Deshaun and Mahomes, right? So, like, it's true. If, if you're telling me Bill Belichick did this, I'd be like, oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah, Billy B, cerebral, right? But no, I'm not. I'm not putting that to the Chicago Bears. Okay, I'm going to move on to something a little bit different uh, real quick. The Kent Bazemore Bradley Beal beef. Like this, this, I, I was loving this. So Kent Bazemore came out. He was being interviewed, like, you know, interview presser you do before games. And he was speaking on Steph's greatness, right? Steph had just scored like, what, 49 in 29 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something crazy. And he was just like, other players are hurting their hamstrings trying to keep up with the greatness of Steph Curry and what seemed to be an obvious shot at Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal then proceeded, Bradley Beal, his sister, his wife, basically the whole Beal family started roasting this man alive on Twitter. What, what's your take on this, Demarcus? Uh, I, I'm a, mostly gone pass. I don't think it was funny at all. There's been a lot of hamstring injuries. We've talked about this also on the Fly Route podcast. I don't think it's because Bradley Bill's overexerting himself. There's there's a lot of reasons why there are more hamstring injuries in the, in the NBA this season. We've had KD and James Harden and Bradley Bill and um, all kind of guys have random soft tissue injuries, mm-hmm. as we like to say. Uh, and then the way he got flamed and backed down, I'm like, this, this was a bad look. You're a role <laughs> player on a fringe playoff team. You're supposed to be quiet, play your minutes. Get your points and go home. You're Steph's boy. I got it. He ain't even really Steph's boy. He played with Steph for like what? Oh no, they they, they boys. They just boys personally. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, he is the reason why Steph's an Under Armour now. There's a whole story behind that. All right, all right. Maybe that's some future pod talk. Could be, but stay quiet. Plays more. You're a good, nice little role player. You're playing really nice this season. Just focus on making the playoffs. All right. So now I want to turn also to basketball. We got Victor Oladipo, who uh, is, we know, had a lot of trade rumors going on before the trade deadline, has recently now injured his quad tendon. Uh, What's your take on what the future looks like for Oladipo now that he's scheduled to miss the rest of the season? Yeah. Okay. So, look, season ending, he's having season ending surgery to the quad tendon. He hasn't really played since early April and barely played any games with the Miami Heat after he was traded. This is the same quad tendon that he ruptured Mm -hmm. when he was on the Pacers, I think in 2019. So he is still dealing with that same nagging injury from then. And my my biggest takeaway is he probably should have taken the $45 million extension the Rockets offered him. Not looking too bad. Now that he's having to have that uh, season-ending injury. Uh but he didn't, regardless. My second takeaway is, boy, do the Rockets still look massively stupid uh, for taking Depot over Levert when Levert was on a longer contract, was cheaper, ended up coming back, ended up playing more games than Depot ended up playing after, you know, the... Um, can't, the scare? Yes. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a scare. It was there. Oh, it was there, but... They, I mean, they removed it, yeah. but, like, they found it early. It was great. I just put... The most important thing is this doesn't matter for the Miami Heat. Like, it would have been great to have Victor Oladipo, but at this point, you would be trying to integrate a Victor Oladipo that has no chemistry with your offense. That's actually starting to play well. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Has it's not basketball shape because he hasn't really been able to play long stretches the entire season, right? I think that the biggest impact to Miami is they'll probably miss having Kelly Olynyk in their rotation going forward because he was a great rotation stretch big for them that could actually shoot the three. But Miami's been playing great. They've gotten better over the season without him, and they don't particularly need him. So I don't think it impacts their playoffs. In, like chances at all to be honest it'll be interesting to see if they get Oladipo on the cheap with the extension now because he's having another massive surgery to that quad tendon and that might end up being the biggest get for Miami is being able to kind of get him on the cheap because he's already in the house already part of their culture etc they've been very patient with him and I think for players that kind of means a lot good place to be as well yeah South Beach ain't that bad <laughs> All right, look, I really want to talk about the NFL Week 1 schedule. It dropped today. We're recording on Wednesday. The rest of the schedule drops tonight after the pod. And I want to know what you think right now is going to be the game of the week, Week 1 of the NFL season. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, for me personally, and maybe for a lot of people, it's Cowboys Bucks for a lot of reasons. So it's the first game. So it's the first Thursday of the season. So... We have the official countdown has been started. Mm-hmm. The pay, the, not the Patriots. Damn, the Buccaneers <laughs> <laughs> are gonna get their Super Bowl rings. They're gonna, you know, have their banner come out. There's probably gonna be a full stadium, you know, in Florida. And the Cowboys have a lot of people coming back off of injury. You got Dak. You got a bunch of offensive linemen. It should be a really good game. Like honestly, I think it'll be a good game. Um, there's a chance. There's a chance. That the Buccaneers have a little bit of a hangover from the, from this postseason. They partied a little much. They you know maybe didn't go as hard to the gym. Maybe Tom did, but maybe not everybody else. And Cowboys win, and that becomes a huge headline for a week to start the season. Because if the Cowboys are able to beat the Bucks week one on national TV on Thursday night, I can guarantee you that Friday morning people will be on ESPN, on Fox, on YouTube talking about. Cowboys go to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not saying that they are. Oh, what I'm are you not saying? Say, I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying. What are you saying? I'm saying it's going to be a good game. Okay. It's going to create lots of storylines. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to it. That's it? That is all. You got no, you got no taste of the Cowboys? You're not going to be delusional oh. on the pod real quick for us? <laughs> I'm sorry that you believe that my Cowboys takes are delusional, but there are plenty of people who agree with me on this, and they typically do pretty well. They have a pretty good roster. That's what y'all say every year to go eight and eight, or I guess worse. My God, what game are you looking forward to for Week One? Uh, Yes, I am looking forward to Kansas City versus the Cleveland Browns. This is going to be a spectacle, right? Kansas City frequently we talk about them as the best offense in the league, right? Unsurprisingly, the Browns might by the end of the season have the best defense in the league. With all the pieces they've added, you know, Javon and Clowney, uh, Greedy Williams is going to be healthy again. Jeremiah Okosu. The the linebacker. Yes, from Notre Dame. From Notre Dame. They drafted the cornerback. Newman, I believe it is. Um, Yeah, they could be. That's the actual scary part for Patrick Mahomes. Yes, that's why it's going to be a great and interesting game. I think this is going to be a situation where you see a bunch of new defensive pieces trying to gel. Nine new starters. Yes. So they're going to make some mistakes, right? 
but it's also a completely new offensive line for Patrick Mahomes. You know, they replaced the center. They well, the left side totally rebuilt. Yeah, they look. They they really they re they rebuilt that offensive line. So they're also going to make some mistakes because they're not going to have their chemistry together. So that means we're going to have to see some Mahomes heroics, which are always fantastic to see. That defense is good. We we were all hoping that they would come in the Super Bowl and they never came. So I'm hoping. Oh. For the heroics. He he threw incompletions that were more exciting than oh, touchdowns I mean, yes. during that game. So let's not forget that. He threw incompletions that were more exciting than touchdowns in that game. That's what I want to see again. Right? So it's gonna be like it's gonna be exciting. We're gonna see the Browns offense regel. OBJ is gonna be back in. I think this is going to be a massively exciting game. And that's the game that I'm looking at. I think those are both be two great games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. The last thing I want to talk about is rookie quarterbacks. And I want to know which rookie quarterback do you think is going to have the best season next year? So I thought about this a little bit. And the main way that I approached it was who do I think is going to play the most? I think that a big part of being a quarterback in the NFL is going to be adjusting to the speed of the game. And being able to figure out what's going on and make the right throws and be put in the right position. Now, there are some guys who are in very good kind of locations. Think of. Uh, <coughs> now, there are some guys that are in very good locations. Think of San Francisco where you got Trey Lance. Fantastic situation. The problem is, of course, he's probably not going to play very much this season unless Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. And so I think that a guy who plays a lot and plays early has a chance to be a better quarterback. We saw what Herbert turned out to be. He had a great kind of start in week one and kind of built from there. If not for the injury, we think that Joe uh, Joe Burrow would have also done something similar with the Bengals. He was, he was playing okay. He was playing okay and getting better. But having that season under your belt to kind of acclimate yourself to the NFL is super, super important. Um now, you can, of course, be real bad, like rookie Peyton Manning was, who threw like 40 interceptions or something like that. Ridiculous. Or you could end up being really good, like a rookie Cam Newton, who came out week one and threw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns. I think that quarterback who's going to be out there all the time is Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be good. I think he, uh, based on college exposure, the kind of offense he was in and the defenses he saw, is the most NFL ready. I don't think Justin Fields plays from week one. I think uh, they start Andy Dalton oh, for at least hold four on. to six weeks, I hold, would think. Hold hold your fucking horses. I agree, and I hope you are right, but God, the amount of people saying Justin Fields should be the week one starter yeah, that, in Chicago that, that's dumb. makes me want to vomit. Yeah, it makes no sense. Um, Mac Jones is behind Cam Newton. I think Bill Belichick is an old-school kind of court, uh, head coach. He's going to make that quarterback sit and wait. And, and then... The fifth quarterback, uh, Zach Wilson, and he plays for the Jets, so I don't think he'll be very good. <laughs> just by the just by the very nature of the fact that he plays for the Jets, he cannot be good is what you're saying. And he looks like he's 12, maybe 14. <laughs> I like how you're not like, the Jets are bad, so he will be bad. You're just like, he was drafted by the Jets. He cannot he has be to good. Be. He has to be. <laughs> Listen, if he turns out to be good, he'll be a surprise to me. Jets fans, hit us up in the comments. Let tell me why I'm wrong. I don't see it, but you know, so I'm going with my bets on Trevor Lawrence for those reasons. 
Okay, I will say all smart money is with Demarcus on Trevor Lawrence. Like, I will not doubt it. No, but I honestly think that it's going to be the quarterback that starts midway through that actually ends up being the most impressive because they'll come into a more solid situation, a better team around them, and just probably also overall have more time to prepare and get ready. Like, they're going to toss Trevor Lawrence into a fire mm-hmm. with a first-time head coach on the professional level at all, on the worst team out of all the teams that we've talked about outside of the Jets. They play in Texas Jets. twice a year. They'll be all right. Really? The Texans are have maybe the worst roster in the league right now. Okay, okay. You So, th- those two games? They're going to make him look games. real good. Yeah, for two out of the seventeen games, that's what, that 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 really Colts defense might struggle. That's two more games. Why? Secondary, secondary is a little wobbly. Okay, but their <laughs> pass rush is fantastic. It is, it is, it the is. The best way to cover a poor secondary is a really good pass rush. Their schedule shouldn't be too difficult. No, they were terrible last year. Now I'll say though, based on your theory of the guy who starts midway through, the guy that's most likely to do that is actually Justin Fields. Hey, hey. Do your little thing. Uh, 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 Just do your thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> Look, I do think it is the guy that gets to start halfway through. So I'm telling you that it's most likely going to be a Mac Jones or a Justin Fields type of guy. The guy that doesn't start until the offensive line's already gelling and already together and already figuring each other out. So he's probably under less pressure when he plays. The guy that has a lot of time to adjust to the speed of the game, to study the playbook, to get reps in practice, and comes out midway through the season kind of how they like put two out. So most of these coaches will probably do the thing where they'll find the soft spot of the schedule, right? I'm not saying... Look, Tua also went seven and four, be be clear. I get that we have a lot of down ideas about Tua because he was pulled so many times, right? And I don't see Justin Fields being pulled for the backup many times once he gets in. I do see Mac Jones being pulled for Cam Newton if Bill Belichick is unhappy. Like any game, any game, he's just like, yeah, nah, take a seat, buddy. Like, <laughs> we saw him do it to Cam for a person he knew couldn't play. Well, that is the, he's from the Bill Parcells tree, and we've known that. Well, that's how Tom Brady got his job. <laughs> uh, guy got hurt, Tom came out, and the guy never got back. Drew Bill's going to go with the good guy. Yeah. yeah he's like, yeah. you weren't doing it, you weren't getting it done anyway, so let the new guy do it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but, I so I do think it's going to be a Justin Fields, Mac Jones type that gets to be imported into a better situation, just a better team around him with a better defense and gets to start playing once the team is already kind of put together and in their flow and rhythm, etc. Which is why I just think even though Trevor Lawrence might arguably be the most talented of all these quarterbacks, he is in the worst situation because he is arguably the most talented of all these quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, which is your example, Went to the Chargers. He fell. So he had he had great defensive players, although some of them got hurt early. But he also had Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen. Like he had he had guys. He did. Vets he did that were guys. Now, I will add that I'm rooting for you because I think Justin Fields being good 
the Bears being a good team makes the league much better. Just fantastic. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to week one with these quarterbacks. We'll have analysis, of course, right after that. Uh, we'll get it to you as soon as possible um, so that we can give you all of our reactions to these rookie quarterbacks and how they looked in their debut. Now, we may have to wait a little while for Justin Fields, but I think the word, the wait will be worth the while. Mm-hmm. And that was your RPO. Gallus County Playboy. All right, let's get into the fly route. This week, we want to talk about Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, arguably one of the greatest wide receivers in the modern era of football, right? Mm-hmm. Julio Jones. There's been a lot of talk about trade rumors for Julio. I'm very interested on what you think the fly route is for Julio Jones. So there are a lot of popular ideas out there right now about where Julio should go. Some people are saying the Ravens. Some people say the Raiders. Others say uh, he should go to, I don't know. I heard some people saying the Bears, and I was the like, Bears. I love it, but that's not going to happen. There are, there are a lot of different rumors. I'm not going to talk about any of those. I'm going to talk about a different place. Okay. A place that has a young quarterback they hope to build around. A place that has a lot of draft capital and a lot of cap room, but who needs wide receivers who lost them this offseason. Sounds like a good fit, right? No, but continue. You don't even know what I'm going to say well, yet. I, I, look, okay, so then continue. All right. It's the Detroit Lions. Yeah, okay, I was right. No. Shocking. I know. But <laughs> everything on paper matches up and lines up. They just got Jared Goff. They got a first-round draft pick back from the Rams in exchange for uh, giving up Matthew Stafford. So they're going to have two next year that they can possibly give up one of to get Julio Jones. They have twenty or they have $17 million in cap space, uh, which is the fifth most in the league. So they have the cap space to be able to absorb his contract. There's no maneuvering that has to go on. They need a wide receiver. Like I just said, they lost Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones this past offseason. Uh, they've got a new young quarterback in Jared Goff, who... He ain't new no more, buddy. Well, he knew to the Lions. <laughs> he knew to the Lions. Uh, who I would think they want to be successful, at least somewhat. I think that's what they want. I think. <laughs> I mean, they got him Panay Sewell. Uh, so, exactly. They, I mean, the rumors were, so, we don't. maybe you don't know this, there was um, some footage that came out from the Atlanta Falcons war room mm-hmm. where Detroit called Atlanta to move up, and Atlanta said, no, we like where we're at right now. Well, they asked if the package had gotten any better, better. since the last time you called. These motherfuckers said no, and they were like, Look how quick that call was. I was I laughed. They were like, is the package any better than before? They're like, no, it's the same package. We're and, just gonna drive. And I wanna say a letter what I wanna say the Atlanta GM wanted to be like, bro, why the fuck is you wasting my time? He's like, we're on the clock. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm done with you. I, I been said no to this shit. Um so I think they were actually moving up to draft Kyle Pitts. Mm. Uh which why else would you call Atlanta at number four unless you're gonna go get Pitts if you're not getting a quarterback? And cause you wait you got Penay Sewell at seven and you couldn't have thought that he was going to uh, be taken before then, could you? But also, if you wanted a quarterback, you wouldn't have moved up because Atlanta was reportedly not going to take a right. quarterback and nobody in between you and the So it has to be to... Kyle Pitts. Yes, I agree. So they obviously wanted a top flight receiver. They didn't get one of them. Atlanta got Kyle Pitts, but maybe they can get the guy that Kyle Pitts is going to basically replace in Atlanta, which is Julio Jones. 
I think it all makes sense on paper based on what Detroit wanted before the draft, what they didn't get, their cap space, draft capital, uh, and new kind of uh, head coach situation. And I think they would want to succeed and want all the weapons possible. And quite frankly, they need him. It makes sense. Do it. I think it's good for Julio. He gets out of Atlanta. They feed him the ball. The reason Julio has not been great partially is because of, because of injuries. No, no, no. You said it was good for Julio. If they tried to, if, if the Hawk, if the Falcons tried to trade me and I was Julio Jones to the Detroit Lions, I would pull a Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders, and deuce the fuck up out of here. I'm trying to be optimistic, okay? And have I'm some trying to be realistic. Detroit Lions. <laughs> fuck out of here. So who do you think? Or what do you? What is your fly route for Julio Jones? Before I say my fly route, I want to say everything you said makes sense from every perspective besides Julio Jones's. I will give you that. From the Falcons' perspective, it makes sense. From the Lions' perspective, it makes sense. But not for Julio. I'd be so fucking mad if I was Julio Jones. After all the blood, sweat, and tears I gave the city of Atlanta, they sent me to fucking Detroit. Why are you hanging on Detroit like that? Is- that? Because they garbage. And they've always been garbage. We're going to have some Detroit people in our comments now. And look, the thing about the Detroit people is they're realistic. They're not like Cowboys fans. They are not delusional. They are garbage, and they know they are garbage. They hate their own team. Wow. They started the Thanksgiving football shit just to lose every su- every Thanksgiving. Thursday. with Watch it with their families. All right, look. The fly route for Julio Jones is the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. All right. It's the Baltimore Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens. I'll say it like it's Bloody Mary just to hope I can conjure it and make it come true. This is a team that is a strong wide receiver core away from a Super Bowl berth. Just 100%. Look, it's the best spot for Julio for a couple of reasons, right? A. They need a wide receiver one, right? And Julio can be that. It also is not an extremely pass-heavy team. And because Julio's thing has been a lot of injuries, right? As of late, having less reps on his body is probably a good thing. But this is also a team that wants to open up their playbook and pass more. Right, and I believe them when they say that. I believe Greg Roman and I when he says that because of the drafting of Rashad Bateman. And if Rashad Bateman is half of what we think he can be, that receiving core of Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, Julio Jones, and a speedster like Hollywood Brown gives defenses the same trouble that like the Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey combo gives defenses someone that takes the top off really hard a tight end that can catch and get in the seams and play the whole route tree but then you have julio jones there too facts now add the running threat of lamar jackson that is disgusting and on paper it is on paper it is on paper it is and julio is the best type of star receiver for the ravens particularly because he's not a guy he's a very mature person He's not a diva. He's not a guy that would be super disgruntled with not getting his targets. Especially someone that needs to probably have less of a burden on their body, not more. Run heavy offense does that for them. 
when it comes to Atlanta, Baltimore always, always, always has a surplus of the one thing Atlanta still needs. Strong defensive players. That's always been Atlanta's weakness. It's still their weakness. Even after the draft, they drafted on fixing, or I guess augmenting said offense that they already had that was already a strength of theirs. And between some picks and some of the excess of great defensive players Baltimore has, this can be a win-win-win. A win for Baltimore getting Julio Jones. A win for Julio Jones because at least he's not in Detroit. Uh, and, a, and a win for Atlanta who can get some strong defensive players back and obviously the picks. So I have a question for you, Bet, which is how does the money work? The highest paid defensive player for the Ravens uh, has a $13 million cap hit. Okay. Right? Calais Campbell. Good player, older Defensive linemen, mm-hmm. etc. The Ravens currently have thirteen million in space, and Julio's worth twenty-two million against the cap. How do they make it work? That sounds like it would actually work with the defensive player and their remaining cap space. Well, if if you trade a defensive player some picks and they and they have they're what seven million dollars short on free space. Mm-hmm. So a defensive player, who Marlon Humphrey, who I don't think they want to trade. I mean, if you want, if you if you think Calais Campbell is that. Is closer to the end in the beginning. Sure, he's thirty five. So, so then, sure. I, what I'm saying is that, but then you got to have that factored into the other team's cap. That doesn't work there either, because they well, got to take out Julio's money and Calais's money. No, or it, I mean, no, this, or, this, okay. So the most important thing about this conversation is the timeline. June second is the date that mm-hmm. we are actually thinking about for these trades, because at June second. Atlanta does not have to deal with all the dead cap money from the trade from Julio Jones, as well as whatever team that they are participating in this trade with for whatever ever, what other players that they send back. So that is very important. Thank you for pointing that out. June 2nd is the timeline for this. We, sh- we will not see any movement on this until after the June 1st deadline. So think June 2nd, because this allows teams to not have to take the massive dead cap hit with the trading of these players within that season. So that would actually make the money easier to work, especially easier for Atlanta. Atlanta saves a ton. So Atlanta would save a good chunk, $15 million, by mm-hmm. moving Julio. But they'd, of course, then take on basically a similar amount in like someone like Calais Campbell for $11 million or, or for $7 million. Guy. Yes, I think a younger guy for like seven. But they need to spend that money on the defensive side because their defense is They terrible. certainly need defensive help. I just I don't see this trade happening on paper. This seems like some of the cap stuff could be hard to match up based on what Atlanta might want back. Because I think they will want someone younger. And I think Baltimore is very smart, actually. They, they're they a very well-run team mm-hmm. and will not want to give up a young asset. They'd rather give up a draft pick and someone older or a draft pick and a, a someone down the bench as opposed to a really good defensive player. Here's what I'll say. You think that, but I think that a, a, like Baltimore is in this position now that they're probably willing to be more aggressive than not because soon they're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson. Right, he's coming up. They're obviously going to take the fifth year extension because it would be a discount for them. But after that fifth year, so after the next two years, they're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson. And when I say pay, I mean pay because the scale gets increased every year. So this is actually the time for a like this is actually the time for Baltimore to get aggressive 
because their cap is going to be hamstrung by the Lamar Jackson contract two years from now. Listen, I think the strategy more pertinent is to actually do nothing now, pay him early and spread it out, but we'll see what happens. They always take the fifth year discount. Oh, no, I'm not saying don't take the fifth year, but if you take the fifth year and then you basically do the new contract two Um, years early, you get to spread out the signing bonus over more years. Okay. Which is what the problem was with Dak's contract because they didn't do it early. And so, like, for example, he's going to count at 75 million this year. Yeah. So, usually, what I expect them to do because they know they want Lamar Jackson is to take the fifth year and extend him on the fifth year instead of this year. Okay. I. I still don't think that can work if they have Julio and then extend him next year, but we'll see what happens June 2nd. All right, let's get into end of the season NBA awards. Every year, the awards are given during the postseason, and every year people are impacted by postseason play in the way that they think the awards should be given. So here at the Fly Route Podcast, before the play-in, before anything like that, we're going to put our predictions on the table for what we think should happen because these are regular season awards. All right, so the first thing I want to start with is Rookie of the Year. All right, DeMarcus, who is your Rookie of the Year prediction? So it's been a pretty close race most of the year, uh, but I got to go with the guy up in Minnesota, uh, Ant-Man. Different, three different reasons. The first is he seems like he has made the bigger impact on his team compared to Melo, who the Hornets played pretty decently without him. Uh, they've played better with him there. Uh, but I think Anthony Edwards also has some better numbers in certain places, which is the real, the real story. And I think had the lead in this race for most of the season, which I think has to count for, for something. So uh, for example, and, and it's, or oh, okay, rewind that. Not most season, but he did surge late based on improving his shooting a ton once he got the flow for the game and had a much better shot selection. So in January and February, Anthony Edwards uh, averaged like 36, 37% from the field shooting. And in March and April, he shot like 42, 43% from the field. Huge, huge improvement, huge impact on the Timberwolves, both in stats and intangibles off the court. The team... Not the stat that matters. Well, we're working on that. Okay? He also plays in the West. Keep keep working. So, I think it's Ant-Man. I think there are some solid reasons why it is him on paper and on the court. He passes the eye test, both in how he plays and motivating his teammates. Okay, Ant-Man is fantastic. He definitely leads out his stats, especially points... I will say that LaMelo Ball has been the runaway rookie of the year the majority of the year. Been very That's good. just a fact. And Ant-Man only surged when LaMelo was hurt. That's the only reason why he surged, because LaMelo wasn't playing. Now, I, I think it is a good argument that just like LaMelo did not play as many games as Ant-Man, so you want to give it to Ant-Man. But LaMelo was still second in points, rebounds, he's first in steals, and assists among all rookies. And that's not per game stats. So he played less games and still second in points and rebounds, still first in steals and assists. So that's important when we just want to talk about the raw stats. But let's talk about the stat that actually matters, winning. LaMelo Ball is the rookie that has had the highest impact to winning on his team, period. 
Yes, he plays in the East. Yes, the East plays an easier schedule. But the difference between these teams are large. And that cannot be def- that cannot be excused by the schedule. One of these teams are in the lottery. Let's just be cl- again. They might get the first pick if the Rockets don't. So that's the thing. And also when LaMelo was playing, his team was in like the fifth, sixth spot in the East. He gets hurt and they almost drop out of the plane altogether. He gets back and now they're back in the eighth seed position. LaMelo has just affected the winning of his team the most while still giving us some spectacular plays like the full court pass that we saw the other day. Like it is it is a show when he is on the court. That is true for Ant-Man too. I'm not going to lie. Both very good players. I don't think either one of them winning would be a, a problem for me, honestly. I think, honestly, there are people and there are fans of both who think one is more deserving. But I think ultimately both would be deserving if they won it. It's LaMelo. He he actually won games. He actually impacted the winning of games. If it's just like, how many points did you put, put up? That's just the rookie scoring championship. Like, the best rookie scorer. That's not rookie of the year because the game has so many other elements that LaMelo Ball is ahead of him in while playing less games. We will see. I think Ball's game itself translates more quickly to the NBA. Oh, definitely. Yes. Uh, which helps him in that category. But let's talk about a kind of different kind of award. So we have the rookie of the year, new player coming in. How'd you do? Let's talk about players who maybe came in, didn't do so well. And now have rebounded. They have massively improved in the span of one season. Who do you have for this award? All right. I have Julius Randle. And it's it's just not close. It's it hasn't been close for most people the entire year. The Knicks have been doing fantastic. Julius Randle has been doing fantastic. He went from like a 19-pointed game scorer to a 23-pointed game score while increasing his efficiency numbers a ton from both the field the free throw line, and the three-point line, especially the three-point line. He's almost doubled his assists per game. He's averaging more rebounds, blocks, assists, all across the board, just affecting winning basketball. And I think for the majority of the year, this has been an open and shut discussion. Do you feel differently? No, not at all. I will say, though, Randall's very good. The Knicks have massively improved, but... Watching that game against the Lakers last night told me one thing that I kind of have thought most of the season. Randall's a fantastic player, probably a number two on a on a really good team. I don't think he's a number one on a championship level team. He's oh. definitely a two or a three, not a one. And I'm not even sure what his two or three performance looks like when he's not the guy. Okay, that's interesting. I'm not I'm not against saying he's not a one on a championship level roster. That's, I don't think that's even a controversial take. I'm not even sure they'll win a playoff series. Oh, uh, they might get the Hawks, and I think they'll beat the Hawks. Like because of their seeding situation, I think they're in a good spot, right? I I I get what you're saying, but because of their seeding, they they should get a softish matchup. Now that being said, there's a reason we're talking about them being in the playoffs and having a decent matchup. And it is Jul- it is Julius Randle. He is. Like you said, by and far, in a way, the runaway winner of the Most Improved Player Award. And I have no objections to this whatsoever. All right. And the thing I want to say is that because this has been a runaway award, there's been some players that aren't getting the recognition that they deserve, particularly Jeremy Grant. 
playing for the Pistons. Like he went from a 12 point a game score to a 22 point a game score. That is a that jump is like almost fivefold the Julius Randle jump in scoring, right? And the it, it's a it's, it's hard a to do. Yes, it is. It is hard to do, and that is partially because he is like now their primary scorer versus being the fourth option on the Nuggets. That helps a lot, right? But like he deserves a lot of credit, a lot of. He should get some votes, basically. That's what I'm saying. He should get some votes. So should Michael Porter Jr., who basically doubled his scoring average, going from like 9 to 19, uh, increased his rebounds by like 3 a game, etc. Like, these are players who deserve their flowers, should probably get some votes, but it's unquestionably Julius Randle. All right. Let's move down to MVP. And I'm on the bandwagon now. Ah, look. See, Demarcus, I was about to give you your flowers for being early, but then you had to start making noises over there in the back. My predictions are always right. You know this. That is that is actively not true. Uh, Anyways, go ahead and give me my flowers. Look, I'm going to give you your flowers. Nikola Jokic, far and away the MVP, should be the MVP, and we know it. And what I really want to talk about here is why does the media hate Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets so much? He's boring. Uh, is he? To the media? It actively bothers me that there's been this massive push for CP3 to be an MVP or MVP candidate, particularly just because he is not in any way comparable to what Jokic is doing. Jokic, better scorer right now, better rebounder, is not, I won't say he's a better assister than Chris Paul, but he is way closer in assist than he is than Chris Paul is to him in scoring. He's the number one option on his team, undeniably, and... Are you sure that Chris Paul is the number one option on the Suns? Um, I'm not going to fight you on this. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows I've been on the yoke train for a long, long time. Oh, man. My favorite comment was Yokamania. <laughs> <laughs> now, that being said, I think the kind of answer your question, the media thinks he's boring. Fans think he's boring. I see more images of Yoke as a chubby teenager. <laughs> Than an NBA player on my on my feed on Facebook and on Twitter. Tell me I'm wrong. Where's the lie? Uh, people don't think the boring European center to them should be the MVP of the league. I think people will be sorely mistaken uh, about his deservedness of the award. I think it's clear that he does. I think Dirk has shown us that European players can be the the best player in the league. I think Luka will show us that they can be the best players in the league, and Jokic is doing it right now. Um, and so I think that's the reason why. I think all the other narratives are more sexy. They're more appealing. They're for stars that are in bigger markets. Yada, 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 yada. We know that the media, especially the NBA, does some manipulation when it comes to storylines at the start of the season. And Jokic was not the storyline guy at the start of the season. It was a CP3. It was a LeBron. It was an Embiid. Guys, they want to win it. And then he, he had dealt with injuries all season, kept his team afloat, and then he lost his number two, and they did better. Yes. It's just insane. It is insane. Clearly, clearly the MVP of the league, and I'm very happy for him. Okay. Let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. DeMarcus, who do you have winning Defensive Player of the Year? It's Ben Simmons. Um... It was actually tough between Ben Simmons and even Joel Embiid. reason I gave it to Simmons, he's played more games. I think he has, uh, depending on the night, the tougher assignment, night to night. 
Now, Embiid has a few nights here and there if they play the Bucks, if they play um, even the Nets on a good night when they're healthy, where he has to guard some big men and do some things. But most nights, the guards on the floor that Ben Simmons is guarding. Or the wings. Or the wings, because he's, like, <laughs> huge. He's, like, what, 6'10"? I thought he was... Uh, I'm not sure. I thought he was 6'8 or 6'9". Somewhere up there. Yes. And so, um, he, he's done a, a fantastic job all season against that. Okay. Who do you have? I agree that it's Ben Simmons, and this makes me want a positive question for you. When... To all of our listeners, when you think of Defensive Player of the Year, I want you to ask yourself this question. Does positional defense matter? Because if it does, Ben Simmons should far and away be your Defensive Player of the Year, right? Ben Simmons is sixth in defensive win shares. He is the only guard in on the top 10 list, period. Not close. Period, right? He's fifth in steals per game. There's not a single wing defender that's better than Ben Simmons in the league there's not a better person that can defend one through four every night and one through five most nights than Ben Simmons they're like if the toughest assignment is not a center it is given to Ben Simmons almost every single game and and that's really important because it shows the versatility of his ability to defend now I have a very large Inkling feeling that most people will want to give it to Rudy Gobert for the third time in like four years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I get it. He leads the league in defensive rebounds and total rebounds. He has he's first in blocks. He is leader in blocks per game. Now that Miles Turner has gotten hurt, he leads the league in defensive win shares like the raw numbers. If we just sit and just look at the raw stats, it is hard to. Nearly undeniable to not give it to Rudy Gobert, but he is useless outside of defending the five and defending the basket. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen the highlights of people like Steph that embarrass him. If he walks outside of the paint, he might be doing loop-de-loops. Yes, but inside of the paint, he is dominant. It is undeniable how dominant he is. So when you decide who you think Defensive Player of the Year should be, it is really do you value versatility or do you just value the raw stats? Period. As a Draymond fan, I value the versatility. All right. Let's move on to something that's going to be a little bit more contentious for us. Mm-hmm. Coach of the year. Who you got? I have Monty Williams of the Suns for a couple of different reasons. First is he's deserving of the award. The Suns have had a massive turnaround. Um, they were trending in the right direction last year uh, in the bubble where they looked good. They won some games that they had no business winning. They don't know. They signed uh, Chris Paul or got acquired Chris Paul, rather, I should say. And people had better expectations for them this season, but they have blown those out of the water. We thought, oh, they'll be a playoff team. Maybe they'll be a five or a six seed and avoid the play in. They'll be decent. Quite possibly the best team in the West, arguably. I mean, they're first or second going back and forth with the Jazz. Exactly. First or second going back and forth. Uh, Chris Paul has transformed the team because a lot of the pieces are the same. You The, the core is Deion, or Aiden and you've got uh, Devin Booker. They added some really good veterans like Jay Crowder. Oh, yeah. Not saying they didn't, but I'm saying to have 
a good core, add in a big star and some veterans, make it all mesh well, and then overperform, that's coaching. That is the coach making everything work together. And I think, obviously, working with Chris Paul to do that. Um, I think that is a part of it, sure, but I think that the Suns would have had a gigantic, enormous, massive turnaround, even have still been a playoff team without Chris Paul. It's a question of they had no chance of getting the number one seed without him as a talent thing. The rest, though, is, I believe, coaching. I think he's done as good a job as anyone does in any given year in the league. Um, They've also massively improved. And it's been relatively drama-free, which is also a a part of the coach setting. That's also a part of the coach setting the the atmosphere for the team. And so, for me personally, it goes to Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. All right, I'm with you. That makes a lot of sense. But for me, it's Tom Thibodeau for the New York Knicks. And I thought we part ways here. So, I have a couple questions for you. Do you think the Suns' turnaround is more impressive than the Knicks' turnaround? What do you mean by impressive? Are you more impressed by the Suns' turnaround or the Knicks' turnaround? Mm, um, I mean, the mm, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, it's close. It's pretty close. It's a key question because that kind of impacts who you think should be the coach of the year. Like, it's, Are you more surprised by the Suns' turnaround or the Knicks' turnaround? Um... It's still pretty close for me. Okay, here's why. Here's why I have a hard time picking. More familiar with the Suns. Watch more of their games because they were a they had some talented players, particularly Devin Booker. I I will pay to see that man play basketball. Not as familiar with the Knicks. Didn't watch the Knicks games. Didn't really have star appeal, star attract, star power. They still don't. They still don't. And so just didn't watch them as much to know the difference between the previous version and the new version. I'll be honest. I think it's big based on a, looking on paper. I think it's pretty close, though, because people, Phoenix has been made fun of for a good while now. Yes, I agree. The difference is Phoenix made it to the bubble. The Knicks were so bad last year, they literally did not even make it to the bubble. The Suns, like, they, they, they literally were not invited. That's how bad they were last year. The over-under for their wins this year was like 20-something games. They blew that out by 10 plus games already. Like that is very important when you think about who is the coach of the year. And very important for me here is when you were talking about Monty Williams, you kept saying Chris Paul, Chris Paul added, Chris Paul did, Chris Paul made other players around him better. Even the Chris Paul for MVP narrative, all of these things should be minuses towards Monty Williams for a coach of the year. Because we've seen Chris Paul do this everywhere he goes. The whole Chris Paul MVP narrative is terrible team. Chris Paul shows up. Team is good. Why didn't we give Billy Donovan coach of the year last year for the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder? Because we thought it was Chris Paul that did it. Because Chris Paul turns around teams when he goes there. Because that's what he does. Shit. It's the Knicks. Not a lot of new players. Not a lot of difference from last season. Besides what? They signed Tom Thibodeau. He changed the culture of that entire organization. He made them play defense, and he made them an actually good team. And it's not that anything should be taken away from Monty Williams. It's not that he's not great at his job. It's not that what he's done has not been impressive. It's not that he doesn't deserve his flowers. 
But the level of difficulty to fixing the New York Knicks is insane. It's just insane. We saw, like, Monty Williams is great. It's not like the Knicks got to add a Chris Paul. They didn't get to add one of the greatest point guards of all time. They that The Suns did. You've set up your argument as such that in order to beat back my argument, I have to deny Chris Paul's greatness, and I will not do that, so let's move on. All right, facts. Six men of the... Uh, look, look, look. You I, ain't wrong. You I got to appreciate what it is. If you're like, Chris Paul is so great, that's why he shouldn't get it. I'm like, okay, Chris Paul is really good. I'm not going to argue too much with you on that. All right, six men of the year. This was interesting for us. This is interesting because the race is really odd this year. I, 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 I looked at our picks before the pod started, and it's funny that we picked uh, two people from the same team. Which tells you a lot about both guys <laughs> and this team. So, kind of blending the two real quickly, the other consideration I had for Coach of the Year was Quinn Snyder. But fantastic. For obvious reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, because we both picked players from the Utah Jazz. Mm-hmm. For different reasons, they do different things for the Jazz, but both come off the bench and mesh really well. Whatever Quinn Snyder is doing, whatever's in the special juice, the Kool-Aid, is popping. Uh, so I picked Joe Ingles for Sixth Man of the Year. So he comes off the bench for Utah a good amount of the time, but also when players get hurt, he's usually the first guy off the bench as a starter. Mm-hmm. So he splits time as a starter and six men. His numbers as a starter are better than his numbers as a six man in similar minutes, which is the whole thing as well. Uh, but I think importantly, Ingles does uh, a little bit more of the dirty work on the court than um, some other people on the Jazz, who you're going to talk about in a, in a moment here. He plays a little bit more defense. He's going to get some more rebounds. He's a better shooter, but takes less shots. Uh, at least from three, uh, based on the statistics. Um, you're going to talk about Jordan Clarkson. Yes. Jordan Clarkson shoots like nine threes a game. <laughs> he should not be shooting torch. nine. <laughs> that man has the torch on him. <laughs> it is lit. Yeah, he he shoots 8.8 a game and I think makes like three. Which, Look, which this- is solid. That's like 30%, but Ingles is like a 42, 40% kind of guy from three. He, but he's only shooting three times a game. I think it should be Joe Ingles. I think he does a lot more dirty work. I think Ingles is um, just as important on the offensive end for spacing uh, on the threat of the three um, because he's more likely to make it than Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson is also just more likely to take extremely difficult threes. I guess that's a part of it. <laughs> Shot it selection is, is a <laughs> problem with Clarkson sometimes. I wouldn't even call it a problem because they don't mind him taking that, those shots because – Jordan Clarkson, on this is the thing about it, for six minutes, on any given night, he can go off for 40. He's done it multiple times this season. He will he will just, he's a scorer. And I he won't deny that. Punch off the bench. Won't deny that. My argument for Ingles is just that he does a lot of things that don't show up in the stat sheet. A lot of little things, a lot of dirty things, and still puts up, what is it, like 12 points when he comes off the bench or something like that. Which Jordan is pretty- Clarkson is putting up 17.3. He has the better numbers on paper. I am I am giving you that argument. Career I have high conceded points, that argument. Rebounds and assists this year. I am saying Ingles does other things for me that make him the better six man of the year selection. But make your case. He's for, more complete. He's more. Yes. I, I think I've made my point in in the middle yes. of your point. I'm not gonna lie. Ingles is a more complete pick. It depends on what you are expecting from your six man. And generally, when I think of the six man of the year award, I think of the guy that comes off the bench. That's the spark that gives you're you. You're thinking an of Jamal punch. Crawford, Lou Will. Well, 
they there's a reason why Drake has a song called Six Men Like Lou Will. <laughs> right? Jamal Crawford was nasty too. I'm just saying there's a reason why the two most synonymous names with the award are kind of the archetype of how I understand it. You're not wrong. Joe Ingles is a more complete player, but the archetype of what we understand the six man to be is that scoring punch off the bench. And Jordan Clarkson has been that consistently all year long. Um, Last thing I'll say is Joe Ingles is much more like last year's winner, Montrez Harrell, than he is to like Lou Will or Jordan Clarkson even. I agree. And I think that kind of player, that role on a team is very, very important. And for that, I think Ingles should get some flowers while he can still smell them. You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. Speaking of which, I mean, that probably puts us into our baller's bouquet. That does indeed put us into our baller's bouquet for this week. So this is the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, baller's bouquets. Too frequently in the media, athletes only get attention for the negative things they do and none of the positive things they do. Here, we like to make a change. We will indeed. We're going to talk about a player who doesn't normally get this kind of recognition we're going to talk about former new england patriot and current tampa bay buccaneer rob gronkowski so many of us know rob gronkowski as the fun teammate for the patriots and buccaneers the party guy the guy you're most likely to want to have a beer with um, after the game and that's great He's known for his party bus, and we've seen him, you know, shotgun beers and throw the Super Bowl trophy between boats. Fantastic stuff. Uh, but for this, today his recognition is a little bit different. Today he's going to be recognized for his very charitable donation of over $1 million to fund a children's playground along the Charles River in Boston. So this past week, Gronk made a personal trip to Boston to hand deliver a check for $1.2 million to Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker. This particular check is going to go to help fund a brand new playground at what is known as the uh, Charles Bank Playground on the Charles River, Esplande. I I don't know why Boston has words like that in their city, but that's what it's going for. Baker accepted the award, the governor, and said, Gronk, you know, is a big man with a big heart, which is very generic, but very, very true. Everything I've ever heard about Gronk is that he's the nicest person you could ever meet in person. He would literally, literally give you the shirt off his back with no problem at all. Probably would take it off without you asking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, some probably, if they don't pay attention as much, will probably ask, why would he donate this money to, you know, Massachusetts and Boston? Well, he got drafted there played his first nine seasons as a professional as a part of the New England Patriots to play their games about 40 minutes outside of Boston and Foxborough. And um, this, of course, kind of goes along with the NFL's entire NFL Play 60 campaign, which has been around for many, many years. Y'all probably seen some really good commercials. There's a great one. (laughs) Yeah, there was a great one with Cam Newton and that little kid uh, four or five years ago. encourages uh, kids to get outside to play at least 60 minutes a day as a part to a way to remain healthy. Rumors have it that kid was Sam Darnold. We don't have to look back. It might have been Zach Wilson. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, that kid looks older than, John, than Zach Wilson now. Okay. <laughs> um, now, of course, of course, um, being active, being healthy is super, super important. 
now more than ever, and parks are more important now than more than ever, most students, most children spent the better part of the last year either inside because their parents were afraid of coronavirus, reasonably so, uh, during online school on a laptop, either part of the year or most of the year, and likely has not seen people or hugged people or ran a ton in the past year. Now, that means that in America right now, it's May, starting to warm up. People are going to be going outside, going to parks, going to trails, etc. Both because they've been stuck inside all year. They've been vaccinated. It's now warm. Let's do it. So this past year, many of us took advantage of parks and trails, etc. As we tried to find some reprieve from our homes during the initial part of the quarantine. And as a result... Those parks, trails, et cetera, now need our support more now than ever, um, both as a way to stay healthy and active, as a way to support great mental health. Being outside in green spaces is great for that. And, you know, it's good for the kids. And, you know, around here, we love the kids. Mm-hmm. So if you love the kids, if you want to go out and do something to help the kids, to help us, to help you, help the future. Go out. You can do one of two things. So for those of you who live in Texas with us. Here at the Fly Route Pod, you can go ahead and donate to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation. The, this foundation helps maintain uh, Texas state parks um, so people can visit them year-round. Uh, if you don't live in Texas or don't want to donate to Texas for whatever reason, I get it. Texas can be a little bit problematic sometimes. Uh, you should donate to the National Parks Conservation Organization that lobbies uh, the federal government to maintain and fund our national park system that is also open year round to visit. And quite frankly, you should, I should. Um, I got I want to go to Big Bend. You're in Big Bend. It's in West Texas. Mm, didn't even know it existed until Didn't right know now. it existed. Well, you've heard of Yellowstone, right? A national park between I've Wyoming, Yellowstone, yes. Montana, et cetera. Would like to go there as well. It's just white people walking. Oh my God. See, this is the the problem here is you th- black people think that outside is for white people. That's and not that's, what I said. That's not what I you said. You said white people walking around. It's just white people walking. That is. Hiking at the park is just white people walking. Exercise. You should go do it. Okay, sure. Which dog go hiking more? I I went. Okay, (laughs) between the two of us, I went hiking last. Yes. And I can tell you from my personal experience, it's white people walking. Oh, my God. That was this week's Ballers Bouquet. (laughs) You should donate to a (laughs) national or local parks organization. We hope that you go out and enjoy some sun this spring and this summer. Uh, We will see you next week. We drop every Friday here at the Fire Out Pod. What's up? What's up, Playboy? All right, all right, all right. That is it for episode 35 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank each and every single one of you for rocking with us this week. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Music, etc. We appreciate all of you all and we always want to hear your feedback. Stay in our comments. Let us know what you're thinking. And of course, we always, always, always want to hear what you want to hear on this podcast, you know, send us an email, the pod at gmail.com, Facebook message, Twitter message, Instagram, etc. All of it is the fly route pod, one word. We're trying to hear what you all are thinking as we enter our next football season. 
Well, this is now more important than ever because the next few weeks in sports are going to be jam-packed. We have the rest of the NFL schedule release. We have the play-in for the NBA. We have the playoffs for the NBA. Uh, we have all kinds of stuff happening. So please let us know what you want to hear. We need help choosing between all these great sports topics. We'll see you next Friday. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe button.